I was uh, doing very serious work on YouTube. And that's, of course, what we all use YouTube for. And I... <laughs> I stumbled across a video by some guy I'd never seen before. And the reason I watched it is because it mentioned that Kate Blanchett was in a new movie. And Kate Blanchett is, of course, the real Galadriel. And damn right. <laughs> she's, she's in a new movie. I, I've never heard it pronounced except by this YouTube guy, but it looks like the word tar, T-A-R. Okay, that's the name of the movie, um, and it's about a, uh, a an orchestra conductor. Okay, and she plays the lead role. Anyway, uh, this guy was doing this thing and, and played a clip in his show from the movie because he was so excited about it. And um, just to give you an example of how others are also excited about it, uh, Breitbart.com uh, tweeted out that this scene from this movie dismantles woke identity politics. And DailyCaller.com tweeted out that Kate Blanchett delivers an epic anti-woke message. And then probably got uh, more, more people saw this than any of the others. Brian Kilmeade from Fox uh, sent out a, and had 652,000 views uh, when he sent out a tweet saying that the clip from the movie eviscerates woke gender identity politics. And I thought, well, this is interesting, you know, and I'm frankly not as into this kind of thing as some people are. I just, I don't know. It's just, there's so much of it. I just feel like, okay, is there possibly anything new that I've, that I could have heard? So I watched the clip and in the clip, um, there's a, Kate Blanchett as the conductor is talking to this student in some sort of a seminar or session. And he basically said that he wasn't that interested in Bach because Bach was a white, cisgendered, heterosexual male or something like that. Um, yeah. And at what, and I'm just paraphrasing a couple things here, although it may be close to a quote in some cases. But uh, Tar, who's Blanchett's character, comes back and says, if Bach's talent can be reduced to his gender, birth country, religion, sexuality, and so on, then so can yours. And he said, you know, what, what What do you imagine your legacy is going to be later? Do you want people to be thinking about your identity or you want them to be thinking about your baton work and how you led the orchestra? And uh, the student gets up and starts walking out and she says, where are you going? And he says, you're an effing bee and speaks out oh. those words. Um, and she replies and says, and you're a robot. Unfortunately, the architect of your soul seems to be social media. So, oh, what a great line! Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. There's a lot oh. to say about that. Yes, and I, I, I've seen this clip, but I only I the, the clip I watched was more truncated. It didn't include that last bit. It just it was the uh, it ended with her telling him if Bach can be reduced, so can you. And I was yeah. I was blown away by that. But that architect of your soul line, oh man, and. Kate Blanchett is one of the most interesting actors working today. And she did that thing that very few female actors, actresses, whatever word you prefer, rarely do. She hit 40 and her roles got better. And she's about my age. She's 52, 53 years old. And she mm -hmm. keeps getting the most interesting roles. And I just I'll, I'll watch her in anything. 
She said, uh, uh, you just mentioned that uh, actor, actress kind of thing. In the movie, there's a line where she's being interviewed and the interviewer refers to her as maestra. Um, and she said, I don't know, and I'm paraphrasing loosely here, but she goes, I don't know why we, you know, started thinking about maestro, maestro versus maestra. Um, you know, we don't call them astronauts if they've flown to space. <laughs> we don't call them devos either. So, um, go ahead, Bill. Yeah. So, so first of all, uh, I don't know who said it, but it wasn't me, uh, said that the music of Bach is the sound of God thinking. And I thought that's pretty cool. I'm reluctant to admit this because we were talking just a few minutes ago about guys who had no memory and also, uh, no dates, but the first album I ever, I ever had in my life, the first album I bought was, uh, was the Brandenburg Concertos, Bach's Brandenburg Concertos. Ah which I played on a, on a amplifier, uh, that, uh, that I built from Radio Shack. When I say I, I mean, under the supervision of Phil Trick, who's an electrical engineer, because, because yeah. soldering looks easy, but it's just oh, not. It's terrible. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I just kind of grew up with that, with the, with the planetarium, but, but to, to just something I've always just wanted to unburden myself of, you know, this, this, this Galadriel and rings of power, this, this you know teenage twenty one no I'm you get you're gonna get it anyway twenty one year old I all I do is kill people and she goes out and she's murdering and slashing and hacking and what you know whacking it's like you think that being a warrior is a big deal but for Galadriel that is a step down she's a queen for God's sake she doesn't go out there and hack enemies to pieces she has soldiers to do that you know <laughs> and it's this it's this. Oh. It, it is connected because it's it's this woke idea that if you're going to be a powerful woman, that means beating up a 250 pound guy in armor, and it means you know slaying these giant cave trolls and and Blanchett in the in the Lord of the Rings trilogies, her, her Galadriel was was overwhelmingly powerful. Everybody was in utter deference to her, but she was about as feminine as you could be. And and just the final thing I'll say about that is. The, the the difference between Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power is the difference between getting the details right and not. But everybody in 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 Rings of Power, they just look like soap opera, you know, Doogie Elrond and and you know and 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 Liberace, <laughs> Celeborn, and all the rest of it. But if you look, but you look at the faces that they put in in Lord of the Rings, those are some odd looking people, you know. I mean, the, Elrond is a strange-looking guy. He looks like he's an alien, and and Galadriel is not a normal-looking person. She's you know? ethereal. She's ethereal. Aragorn is is not a handsome guy. He he he's a tremendously charismatic guy, but you wouldn't look at him and say he's like a, a like model handsome. But he might have been sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze. One of the the most powerful moments in the Lord of the Rings movies was when Galadriel is briefly tempted by the ring herself and you see her become this dark visage and she talks about what kind of a queen she would be if she had the ring. Dark and beautiful. Love and fear me. Easily the scariest moment in any of the three movies. Yes, and it chills you to the bone. And if she had been Galadriel warrior princess up until that moment, that scene wouldn't have done anything. So now we have to pause for roughly 25 minutes as we scroll through the footnotes of our previous references to Lord of the Rings and Galadriel. <laughs> and the I think most people get it. Most people get it. Right? So, they know. She's, so, she's, a, she's an extremely 
unusual looking person. And um, and there goes the memory loss again. By the way, the she adds in strange- to that same interaction with that student whose name in the movie is Max. Um, she says, don't be so eager to be offended. And I love this sentence. The narcissism of small differences leads to the most boring conformity. So now- That's real writing. I have led you all into the abattoir with this intro because what I then did was I got a copy of the screenplay and read it this morning. And guess what the movie's not about? This. (laughs) Yeah. My feeling is she's the villain. In fact, I would suggest that the director slash screenwriter, whoever was involved in putting this together, has actually led conservatives into the abattoir because they knew that we would get excited about this scene that appears very early in the movie and we would take the clip and that shows up in trailers and we would recirculate that and pass it all around. And Brian Kilmeade would tweet it out to 652,000 people, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Really... If you read the whole screenplay, and by the way, spoiler alert, if you were planning to watch this, I'm going to utterly ruin it for you. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's already happened. Nobody's already seen it. But, yeah. So- Like that turn of phrase. In a sense, that scene is just a setup, or I, I would argue it's a setup, because the real story of the movie is not about this powerful woman conductor who's, you know, has been to the, everywhere from the Cleveland Symphony to the uh, New York Symphony to now she's in Germany. What's the famous one in Germany? I forget. Anyway, so Berlin. She, what's that? Yeah, maybe Berlin, uh, Berlin Philharmonic. Anyway, it turns out that this character uh, is really an egotistical lesbian sexual predator. But she's my kind of egotistical lesbian <laughs> sexual predator. And that's the point I think. So is, I was right when I said I felt like she was probably the villain of the piece. Yes. So, and, so yeah, here but, they go again, and, right? And, and there is, a, to a certain extent, there's some elements of cancel culture in this because during the course of her downfall, um, a video of that interaction with the student, with Max, um, where, you know, the thing that all the conservatives are circulating right now, not all the conservatives, but some conservatives are circulating, that... Somebody took that video from a a room where it was supposedly no technology, like there was not supposed to be any cell phones in there. Somebody got that video and then edited it and made it look like she was saying things about blacks and Jews that are racist and anti-Semitic, that she was actually coming on to the male student by putting her hand on him. Uh, There were a variety of ways that they cut this to make it look both uh, bigoted and sexualized. Um, so, so, and that was corrupt. That was, that was distorted, but (laughs) it seems pretty clear from the movie that she actually was a lesbian sexual predator. And, um, and so I guess the reason why I read the script was it seemed too good to be true (laughs) when I saw the clip. So it is too good to be true. They not only, not only had that speech, but they also showed how people, can selectively edit your words to turn you into um, into mm-hmm. something you're not, and uh, you know. I- <laughs> but as it turns out, this woman who's you know self confident and comfortable in her own gender identity skin and doesn't care about that stuff and doesn't care if you call her maestra, 
is actually uh, cultivating relationships with young women and uh, in, when she has a position of power over them. And okay. So, so. so you know what this is? This is yet another example. And, and these go back to all in the family, if not earlier. This is yet another example of liberals writing a, a villain as a conservative, writing writing the conservative villain that everybody's supposed to hate and everybody ends up loving that person, right? Yeah. Denny I, I don't Crane know if she's was a Denny, conservative, but she, no, said, well, well, she, she has well, that she, moment. All right. Okay, so she's she's anti-woke anyway. So, so, you know, so Denny Crane is the most interesting guy on the show and Ron Swanson is the most interesting guy on his show. And, Al, and Alec Baldwin's character, who name eludes me, was the most interesting character on his Dirty show. Yeah. And they're all, they're all portrayed as kind of like these cartoon conservatives, you know, like these knuckle dragging, uh, you know, uh, male patriarchy, toxic masculinity kind of guys. And every time that these, that these progressives try to paint a conservative villain, what they do is making the most interesting and most beloved character on the, on the series. And, and I haven't seen an exception to this. Mm. Well, and this, I, I don't Take think it all that back they, to Bunker. I, I mean, they, she definitely has that moment, but you know, she's a, She's this woman who's living with another woman. They're raising an adopted child. You know, she she's a, business. Yeah, well, she's an open is, you, lesbian. You take, somebody, you take somebody who is a villain and really has nothing to do with with politics, left or right, and then you give them this one soliloquy or something where you put a bunch of conservative or at least anti woke talking points to come out of their mouth, and then you kind of. Uh, uh, What's the phrase I'm looking for? You, you, Flip it. You're kind of kidnapping <laughs> conservatism and hiding it inside of this of this villain who is not actually anywhere near the right wing. Yeah. So it's you know what this. Go ahead. Uh, there was I remember this so well from back around the time when all three of us started with our blogs. You know, I'm pretty sure the movie was The Kingdom. It was a movie that came out shortly after the Iraq War started, and. I didn't see the movie, but my understanding is, is that, that there's a terrorist attack on Americans in uh, Saudi Arabia. And then it, it was directed by a European guy uh, who was real opposed to the whole war and opposed to American military in general. And so my understanding is that the story is about a U.S. military team that goes hunting down these terrorists. And the director, this I'm quite sure of because I heard this many times, the director had spent the entire movie humanizing the terrorists, right? You know, showing that they're yeah. they're just, you know, they're just like anybody else. And at the end of this movie, when the U.S. forces come in, you got to understand this is four or five years after 9-11 tops. These U.S. forces come in and start killing all these people that this guy's just spent, you know, last hour and a half humanizing. And everybody in the audience is like cheering and applauding. And he stands up. He said, no, no, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be realizing how awful this all is. And it's like, who are you going to believe, you know, me or your own lion eyes? That, that when, you, when you have a philosophy that is so anti-human, people are going to root for the person that fights back against that. And if they think that, if they think that this anti-woke statement made her more evil, then it, I'm sure it did in the eyes of the people who, who write and, uh, and, yeah. and, the, and the literally hundreds of people that go to see these movies in theaters. But... <laughs> Beyond that, they they just keep be clowning themselves. Yeah, and, and clearly, as they shoot that scene, at least I've seen that scene, and then of course I've read the the entire ninety five page screenplay. Um, but it's 
I think it's meant to portray her as in control and in command and not putting up with a millennial BS, you know, and mm-hmm. just and saying, you know, hey, you want to learn to be a conductor or do you want to coddle your little identity problems? You know, you, what matters is your ability to keep the orchestra together through these very difficult works. And if you're more concerned about whether Bach fathered 20 children and, you know, was a heterosexual male, then, you know, you've got you've got serious problems. And if you can't, if you can't take Bach and engage him with modern composers and think about their times and their motivations and their relationships and the way that shaped their music, you know, but you just exclude them because they're not like you, you would wish they would be, uh, then, then that's devastating for you, for your career. Um, and so that could have been in a different movie, a very powerful, formative scene, you know, and I would rather see the movie about that kid, about Max and, you and know, what that what that did to him instead of about this perverted, you know, uh, middle-aged woman. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there, there was a time where, uh, give me an example, Imperial Japan, uh, after the Meiji Restoration, they're modernizing their country. They needed a national anthem. So they hired a Western composer these Japanese nationalists hired a Western composer. I can't remember who it was to write their national anthem because the Western canon is awesome. And we weren't yes. shy about letting the whole world know that the Western canon is awesome. And now we've come to a point more than a century later where Westerners, the people who are supposed to be protecting and extending the Western canon, say it's all crap written by awful people. Yeah, the Japanese, the reason that the reason that there was an empire of Japan to fight in World War II was that they, on some level, realized that they were so far behind and they just westernized everything. They, they westernized their uniforms, westernized their training, weaponized their navy, weapon, uh, I keep saying weaponized, westernized, probably the same, probably See, the same, same thing. thing. If you westernize thing. it, you weaponize it because that's sure how enough. Western nations are. Sure enough. But, but you know, fish rots from the head down, right? And 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 you've got this... You've got this Western philosophy that has provided so much unparalleled, and to say it's provided so much unparalleled success is to understate the case, honestly. Yeah. Right. And it's Western. It's Western thought. It's not. It's not got anything specifically to do with the people who are expressing these thoughts. It's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking about things. It's accessible to anybody. In fact, the, Japan proves the case. Right. I mean. You you don't find whiter people than than the Nazi Germans, and you also don't find uh, anybody less white than the than the Imperial Japanese. But they both used Western uh, techniques to increase their military strength. Neither one of them quite caught on to the philosophy until we handed them their butts. But <laughs> after that, after that, they did. Once once they were utterly defeated, that was the formula. That's the ma- that's a secret sauce right there. You have to. If you want to win the peace after the war, the one example, it's the only example in history that we have because it's the only one that ever really was done. You have to utterly and completely defeat them, defeat them to the point where there's no question that they're defeated. There's no question that they, it's 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 over, over, over. They're begging kind of for mercy. And then if you can if you can convince them that they have lost this war, and they've lost everything. Then if you reach them with a genuine helping hand and pull those people up, then it is 
over. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the two strongest allies we have in the world now. And, and now finally, because we talked, we did a show about this. Now they're launching F-35s off of it. There's a, there's a Japanese aircraft carrier back on the ocean waves again. And having studied World War II in the Pacific quite a, quite a lot. The idea that an American would be happy to see this uh, is is quite a reversal of fortune in <laughs> right. terms of um, <laughs> terms of in terms of the Japanese na national character. Right. Same for same for the Germans. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't be happier that the Japanese have uh, flat tops again, but I also couldn't be happier that we sank four of them at Midway. Times change. You know, yeah, here, it wasn't, here's an interesting it wasn't just at Midway. <laughs> we sank an, like I think we sank 11 of them or 17 or something like that. <laughs> Here's an interesting thought experiment. Let's say a conservative writes this screenplay. Can you think of conservative writers, directors? Well, I should end the sentence there. Can you, th <laughs> can you think <laughs> of conservatives? But can you think of conservative and writer and, or director who could take a character like this and put in her mouth and is a, 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 an epic speech that would make progressives stand up and cheer. Are we able to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I could do that. I could do that in 10 seconds. Right. If I really wanted to make a lot of money, I could I could immediately switch to the other side, call myself the only real conservative, you know, and that and that conservatism and republicanism and Trumpism had end of my deeply held principles, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be on every single I'd be on CNN. I'd be on NBC. I know exactly what I would yeah. say. I know exactly how I would say it. And it's easy. I do it in my sleep. Yeah. Also, this, well, you must be the only guy normie. in L.A. who Boom. knows that They're standing ovation. Yeah, standing ovation. Nothing to it. I, I could, I could completely parrot that philosophy. So, who who is Easily. actually making feature length films right now could pull that off? Oh, Matthew Vaughn. He he normally does action flicks, uh, usually comic action flicks. Uh, he did the uh, uh, the Kingsman movies, uh, Kick Ass, which was a lot of fun. Um, oh, he's done. He actually, he's done some other stuff that I, I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Let me uh, let me pull him up. He's actually English, so he's not American conservative. Back to uh, uh, the, that conservative uh, hero thing for a second while Steve's looking. X-Men First Class. Uh, did you see the little subplot? They I, I never watched a whole episode of Parks and Recreation. All I ever did was watch the the, the um, clips. The, the yeah the, the Ron Swanson highlights yeah but did you see the episode where he meets uh, uh, Sam Elliott he's like the only guy who's as alpha as he is <laughs> and and he's interviewing him for a job and he says what's your name he says Ron Elliott says Ron he says it's my name too what's your last name he says done he says is that your last name or are you finishing the sentence he says, yes <laughs> you know so he's and, and it's sam elliott right he's got this voice yeah. and 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 ron swanson comes out i really like this guy i really really like this guy so then they're doing like the final follow-up interview and they say so what do you like to do well, well i like to spend a lot of time outdoors yes absolutely right on and of course i uh, i do a lot of uh, composting composting you know i'm obviously vegan all the way vegan and i like i like to wear my sandals i like the feel of the air around my toes and <laughs> it just goes right down this road into into like being the most the most uber woke weakling you know and mm -hmm. and and just watch ron's face just fall but watching sam elliot 
tell you that he's all of those things. You look at it, you go, this is brilliant writing, but I don't believe it for a second, you know? I don't believe it for a second. Nobody with that voice is, <laughs> is, is a guy who eats soy, <laughs> drinks soy milk. Well, it's, the, uh, it's funny because Norman Lear was able to do it with Archie Bunker, make an endearing character with whom he yeah. vigorously disagreed that America fell in love with. However, I'm trying to think of a character from a TV or movie show who was a lovable liberal that all that conservatives fell in love with. And, Never. But he was uh. a but he was. He was written by somebody who categorically disagreed with everybody, everything he believed. This is the point. And by yeah. the way, I mean, I don't know this for a certain fact, but I'm, I'm convinced that Norman Lear did not intend Archie Bunker to be a lovable guy. No, Meathead was supposed to be he the was, hero. He was, he was simply going to be the echoing board for, for, uh, for Meathead. And, and, and it was, it was, he was the voice of, of Norman Lear. And when, the writers came up with what they thought would be these, you know, kind of boorish responses. People America connected to him. And and a lot of that was Carol O'Connor. A lot of it was Carol yeah. O'Connor. But who's also but a big to himself was a raging lefty. Of course, of yeah. course. But but on some level, I, I, I think on a subconscious level, because I certainly didn't feel it, uh, and I, I was with Archie the whole way. On some level, I think people realized that that. The, the actual situation on the ground in in um, all in the family is here's this guy getting up every morning at four thirty to be on the loading docks at six, busting his butt. You know, comes home at the end of the day, it's dark. He just wants to sit down on his chair and watch some TV and relax. And this parasite this layabout you know, is telling him that everything yeah. that he's doing is one hundred percent wrong. While he's paying his bills, he's paying his yeah. his board, his room. I think on some level, everybody realized that that. that who the hell are you, man? Well, I, you know, I, I read uh, Norman Lear's uh, memoir, and I can't remember uh, the title of it, but um, the, he he kind of had this love hate relationship with his dad. I mean, this was who is this was who Archie Bunker was. Yeah, he his he he thought of his dad as a as a blowhard who was wrong about almost everything, and yet he desperately wanted the approval of his dad, and he really like at another level really loved his dad as most kids do, no matter how horrible their father is. Um, <laughs> And so I, I think that came through in the character in some ways, but I think you're right. I don't think they, I don't think anybody expected uh, Carol O'Connor's playing of that character to be so effective that people would tend more toward the "Hey, I love Archie" rather than "He's a bore, but he's got some good characteristics." Yeah, <laughs> yeah and good on Carol the Archie Bunker for, for the president. Role, right? Yeah, sorry, movement. Yeah, and by the way, if Archie Bunker. Because I'm really interested in these kind of things. If Archie Bunker was actually a racist, right, he wouldn't be arguing with Lionel. Lionel wouldn't be allowed in the house, right? Right? I mean, it, 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 he wouldn't be sparring with with the Jeffersons. It, it, it's the entire premise was false. Yeah. So I just I, the reason I I brought this show idea to the group here is because. I thought I have seen this rehearsed so many times that my my ear for hey watch out conservatives that that's that cheese is about to break your back because <laughs> as you jokes go to nibble the cheese there's uh, this thing is going to snap down and crush your spine and yeah. we 
so often fall for it, especially those of us who are eager to create new content on the internet. So we're looking for something to grasp onto. We say, yeah. oh, look at this clip from this movie. This is awesome. And at one point, the, the first guy's video that I saw, whose name I won't mention because I don't know anything about him and I don't want to besmirch his good name, but um, he said... I don't know anything about Kate Blanchett's politics or anything. So he acknowledged that he really doesn't know where this is coming from, mm -hmm. but, and he hadn't seen the whole movie, but we are so quick to find someone who's waving our flag and singing our song that we will jump on almost anything without doing a little common sense vetting. Now I acknowledge most people are probably not as crazy as me who would then sit down and spend most of a morning reading the entire screenplay. <laughs> But well, I think we can do some cursory Googling. But the point is, it's, it's a, just going to show point, how hungry we are that we'll, we'll, we'll snap yeah. at any little morsel they drop our way. Yeah. And what, what I think what's most interesting point is I'd be willing to bet you significant amount of money. I mean, I'm talking like 40, 50 bucks uh, to say that I'll bet you anything more people watch that clip than watch the entire film. Oh, yeah. I, I guarantee oh, it. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah. So who wins here? <laughs> yeah, and that's true. That it'll be it'll have wider circulation. So maybe it's, it's a net net win for that. And I think a lot of people, even on the left, would acknowledge. And you're hearing more and more public statements from from politicians and celebrities alike who are saying, you know, hey, let's let's give it a break for a second here. I mean, there's something to be said for a comedian who's famous because people laugh at him and for an athlete who's famous because he scores touchdowns and for an actor who's famous because he's able to portray people who are not him on the screen. You know, That's what you should be known for, the your craft and your ability to execute it in a way that delights and entertains people. I saw a clip from old Daily Show back when Steve Colbert and Steve... Um, uh, Carell were on yeah. together at the same time and they were they were both reading a menu I don't know if they were like vegans or something but he was a waiter saying what are the specials and he's going through the specials and, and it's just constantly on the verge of throwing up and it was hilarious it was really really hilarious and then I then I look at this and I think so you know honestly Colbert you couldn't just leave this back at Comedy Central you had to turn the Tonight Show into he doesn't have the Tonight Show does he who no no, he's that got uh, the late He's got show. some other show that nobody watches. He was on got the Daily Show, then he was on the Colbert Report, and now he's Late Late Show or something. All right. But he's basically taken what used to be late night talk show stuff, which wasn't completely apolitical, but the but Johnny Carson made fun of the president, right? He made fun of Republicans. He made fun of the president and whoever that happened to be. And, and now it's just, you know, it's unwatchable. And Greg Gutfeld has the number one late night show in the country. Yeah. And, he, and he's on CNN or Fox, I mean, which starts with an audience like this when, when the big three networks start with an audience like this. And yep. yeah, and he's still kicking their butts. Uh, you All know, right. I'll give you a great example of, of a conservative joke back when The Daily Show was funny. And this was way back when Craig Kilborn was was the original host. Yeah, he was great. It was uh, I think it was a summer in 95. It was the first GOP Congress in 40 some odd years. And they were holding hearings on IRS abuses of middle class taxpayers and uh, all these new rules they were proposing to restrain IRS auditors from from abusing middle class taxpayers. And Kilborn said that. This was deeply affecting IRS morale, but as an incentive to keep IRS auditors on the job, each one would be issued a hammer and a box of kittens. <laughs> 
Well, and I think this was also from The Daily Show, but my all-time favorite uh, little bit that they did was a, a field piece where uh, Rob Riggle um, went undercover to uh, talk to people who were protesting a, uh, a new Marine recruiting station somewhere in San Francisco or somewhere in California. And uh, so Rob Riggle says in this piece, and it is true of him, that he's a, a, a U.S. Marine. And so he dresses up in this hippie outfit. So, you know, so he's trying to go undercover with the protesters and he sits down for an interview and and he really did this interview, I think. I don't think this was acted. And the guy he interviews looks just like Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead in, <laughs> yeah, in full, like, late 1960s splendor. And he he interviews this guy. And at one point during the interview, uh, and, and Riggle's pretending he's doped out and he's got dark glasses, round lens glasses on, you know. And at one point during the interview, the Grateful Dead looking guy um, – says something about the Marines being baby killers or something like that. <clears throat> and Rob Riggle uh, just politely excuses himself from the interview for a second. And the guy goes, are you, you okay? Everything's okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And he steps out into the hall and uh, and he screams, boards and this uh production assistant jumps in and holds up these wooden boards and he punches through the boards <laughs> and then he like the, he just does several other kind of rage things and then he comes back down walks back in and sits down and uh and the uh, the interview subject was like is everything okay man and he's like he's like yeah yeah i'm just it's kind of harsh in my mellow i'm i'm okay and he goes back into into character and he interviews people on the street in the same way <laughs> so anyway that that was brilliant and made fun of these leftist protesters but they at that point anyway they could put it on the daily show because mm -hmm. it was funny yep those were the good old days. Indeed. So anyway, I, I am not uh, against seeing this movie, by the way. Um, although, like- I'll probably see what it you don't see, Kate. What you don't see in the screenplay is like, I don't want to see, I, I don't, I don't want to see anybody's bedroom scenes, period. But I certainly <laughs> don't want to see Kate with some woman from the movie um, or any kind of stuff where she's taking advantage of people. I just don't like, I can't watch videos where people get hurt or taken advantage of. I just hate it. Um, especially if it's mm. real life. but So they have like fairly graphic lesbian scenes in the movie? No, not that you could see in the script, oh. but I don't trust oh, the Because I was going to say, I might have to check that out just, That's for, just, just, purposes for, yeah. just to, you know, just to really make in sure fact, you're on target with it. Unless you know music, which I don't, I will tell you that the script itself, the screenplay is virtually unreadable because the guy, <laughs> the guy who wrote it is clearly into classical music. And so oh. he, he has screen directions where he'll say, uh, Pick up at measure 13 through 46 of, um, you know, okay. box concerto in B minor or something like that. And, and there's all kinds of musical references in that thing that I have no idea what they are. And I imagine if you're watching it in the movie, you just kind of roll with it and you go, okay. Well, yeah. The, the notes aren't going to show up in the this movie. The music sound like is a gonna... movie. This sounds more like cinema to me. It's, um, it is cinema. It, it's, all right, then, it's that like, explains everything. It's like that old song from, uh, oh, what was that in? It was in White Christmas, I think, where, um, and Danny Kay sings this song uh, where he says, uh, chaps who wear taps aren't tapping anymore. They're doing choreography. 
Oh my! So he was, the whole song is about how dance has just yeah. turned, has turned into choreography, and it's hip oh. and it's jerky and weird. And <laughs> there's there, there's just there's a line somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where to draw it between uh, two women doing it on screen being cinema and two women doing it on screen being late night Cinemax. Yes. Just, so I don't think it's that kind of movie, and mm. and you know Kate's being mentioned Pity. for awards, of course, and. Um, and stuff like that. And, and no doubt she, she gives reason. a tour de force performance. Um, but in any case, I guess my, my concluding remark on this would just be, be careful, my friends. Um, yes. Don't be so eager to, to grab a juicy worm that you don't notice the hook inside of it. 